0: This is the other fifty-one. I'm Brian, and this week Michael Sharp and I talk about our careers as sports writers in the mid two thousands and what it's like to be former sports writers. It's uh, it it, it feels like we're back at our desks at the Press and Sun Bulletin on okay. uh, on Vestal Parkway, except not at all because we're not. So
1: the glory days, the, the, the glory days. Well, it's great to be catching up with you. The
0: glory days of the mid two thousands as a sports writer in Binghamton, New York. Um. Ah, that was such a weird time. I know we've talked about this before we hit record and we've been talking about it by text a little bit, but looking back at that, at, at that time. So I was in Binghamton from 2004 to 2009 and then you were there. You, what, so what was your, what was your time frame at, at the Central New York newspaper industry?
1: Well, yes. Yeah. So I started at the Star Gazette in Elmira up the road um, in 2000. And was there till December two thousand five and then uh December two thousand five joined you down there in Binghamton and was there until summer of two thousand and ten.
0: And you were mainly you were mainly the the senators, right? The hockey team?
1: Yeah, so in both places, kind of the main beat was covering the minor league hockey team. So at Elmira, they had just gotten a, a pro hockey team there, the Elmira Jackals. Um, so that was my main beat there in Elmira and then um, came down to Binghamton to cover, you're right, the Binghamton Senators, which at the time were the top affiliate for Ottawa.
0: Right. And um, and uh, if I'm remembering correctly, did you miss out on the Calder Cup by a year?
1: am oh, going to bring this up <laughs> later, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the city had not had the city had had hockey since the early 70s, had never won a pro title. Um, I was there for five years never made the playoffs a couple last place finishes the year I left you know what happened <laughs> they go on this
0: so I was I, I was I was i was just actually just telling somebody about this the other day randomly and unrelated to to our our impending conversation but i'm trying to remember and you know you were following at a distance were they like set up to be good that year and like in my memory it was kind of like a weirdly improbable run that they had in the in the playoffs that year but i could be wrong do you yeah, remember I mean-
1: that they They definitely uh and it's it's a little foggy here too but it, they definitely had um some great comebacks um i believe some uh, some some great elimination game type runs, but you're right it was, it was a it was a heck of a run and it was one of those where just kind of you know the momentum and the pieces kind of build throughout the year i think going in you know the previous five years had been um yeah. There was really no expectation of like, oh, this is going to be the year that we not only turn around but we go on to win a championship. But it really kind of built throughout the year and then caught fire when it counted.
0: So what was so, oh, so we'll just rip the Band-Aid off right now. What was that like for you? Because um, you know when you when you cover a team, you know this as well as I do. When you cover a team, you don't necessarily root for them, but you get like very attached to them because that's your life basically. And obviously, when a team does well, more people are reading you. It's kind of a bigger stage, you know. Um, oh, you're, yeah, you're around that and so what what's it what was it like for you? you were back in Virginia at this time watching um, watching this team that you covered through some dregs all of a sudden go on a run like that.
1: You're right. I mean, you don't root for the team, but inevitably covering the team in the playoffs is so much fun and um, you know just really getting to focus on the matchup with the other team and seeing a series play out and um, you know, the extra coverage that comes with, you know, covering a playoff team and getting on the road a little bit. Um, it's just that in the extra readership and exposure, it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. And, um, so, you know, I fortunately got to experience that a bunch in Elmira. Um, but you're right. You know, it was, it was, there's was a small part of me that was wondering about my timing there, but, um, then I think there are some superstitious people in Binghamton that would tell you that. My leaving had everything to do with that time, <laughs> um, but um yeah, yeah, it was you know it was for sure was following along um, and still you know um, had friends who were you know affiliated with the front office and and there were still players there that that I had covered, so um, just for all the fans that that read and were so great to me for for five years there was it was super happy for for everyone that they got to experience that.
0: So, kind of going back a little bit, how did you wind up in sports journalism to begin with?
1: Yeah. um, So, I grew up um, outside of DC um, and uh, had pretty much wanted to be a sports writer since, I would say, since the third grade, but uh, grew up reading the Washington Post religiously every day. My parents would give me a hard time because I never quite knew how to fold it back up correctly in the sports (laughs) section. Um, (laughs) But um, they, uh, you know, and those were, those were, such great times for the sports section. You know, Michael Wilbon had a regular column. Tony Kornheiser, uh Tom Boswell was still there, um, and, and is still there. Uh, but um, I was gonna say that's, that's a murder. Journal.
0: That was a murderer's row sports section. Yeah,
1: that. yeah, it was. It was um, really impressive journalism, and it, and those were just the columnists. I mean, there were some great beat writers there as well, and um, so just grew up around that, and then um, kind of always. Had that, that was what I wanted to do. Um, And then when I got to Cornell um, in um, my freshman year, I kind of said, you know, I want to take the fresh, my freshman first semester and just kind of get to know the place, um, make sure I'm not going to fail out, you know, just get my feet underneath me and then I'll join the paper um, my second semester freshman year. And that's what I ended up doing. And that was such a magical experience as well. And just some of the very, very best times of my life were there. And I think that really just like drove home how much that was something that I wanted to do um, after college. Um, I can remember just driving down to the paper and starting to laugh like two blocks before I'd even gotten there, just thinking about, you know, the great time ahead and just continuing to laugh throughout the night. But, you know, we, we worked so hard too. And I, I think, you know, coming out of school, having done college newspaper, I felt like I could put up my level of preparedness for what the career that I was going into against anyone, I just felt like, you know, we've been doing this for four years. Um, You know, we're ready to go. So um, I had taken an internship uh, in Elmira uh, the summer before my senior year of college. Um, Elmira was just down the road from Cornell and just up the road from where my grandfather was living at the time. And um, they had um, said, you know, let's stay in touch where we think we're getting this pro hockey team. And um, but sure enough, that, that came to fruition and was fortunate enough to be able to like come back and and then cover that team.
0: So um, I want to get to the, the what the profession was like at that time, because it's a really interesting time to me, but I've had a lot of journalists on here. We've talked a lot about college newspapers and just from your perspective, it was a great story about, you know, laughing as you get there because you know what's coming. What is it about a college newsroom and a college newspaper? You think that that is so magical and is so just like, Not just influential, because it's, you know, obviously important in terms of getting experience and clips and, you know, all that stuff. But what is it about that college newsroom that's just so special and so unique, do you think?
1: Uh, It's a great question. Um, I think it's a mixture of, um, you know, everybody is kind of learning on the fly there. So, you know, I'm really leaning on my upperclassmen. Um, sports editors. Um, I think for me, it was just, it gave me a niche there at Cornell, you know, it was kind of a kind of finding my way there freshman year, maybe a little bit homesick. And then I, I come uh, here where everyone has a shared interest and everybody's working towards the same goal night after night. I think there's a camaraderie um, someone had, you know, I just think, you know, when you, go through that night after night you put out like big sports you know preview sections together and um you know it builds a camaraderie with you know the people in your department um we had just you know we would throw like Nerf balls around the 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 newsroom um we'd put pranks on each other um just a just a really like good good time you know everyone's essentially basically volunteering their time there so you know want to make sure that everyone has a good time in addition to doing you know really good work so we you get to Elmire in
0: 2000 and then uh five years later you're in Binghamton almost exactly the same kind of situation and time frame that I had I had, was a year earlier than you both ways um but coming out of Olean and, and getting to Binghamton And just thinking back Mm -hmm. on that time of newspapers, so like starting 2004, 2005, and then for the the second half of the 2000s, and I think back on that, and man, that was just, looking back, that was a weird time of newspapers, wasn't it? Because it was like like this idea of, like, we knew the internet was going to win like it was clear the internet was going to win, right? Like there was no way it was going to go the other way. But like you and I were still like, we were this last generation that kind of came up and you said this in a text and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as like, we were newspaper people. Like we weren't journalists, we were newspaper people. And what's that? What So what's the difference do you think in that?
1: Um, I mean, I think, you know, it's time to think about it ahead of this call. And I, I think, you know, one of the things was that for me and Right or wrong is just sort of what I had in my head at the time was that like to move up, you had to stay on like a newspaper track. You had to, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever track that was for me, it was starting small paper, working your way up to a a bigger paper and on and on and on. I just felt like you had to stay on a, you know, the best way to do that, the way that people would take you seriously would be um, to do that via newspapers.
0: There was this sense that that I felt in hindsight that like being a newspaper man and newspaper newspaper person news, we thought of ourselves as newspaper men because we were idiots and young and didn't know about gender in, inclusivity at that point, but also this idea of like <clears throat> all those other people were just ephemeral. that was stupid. We were serious. We were real journalists. We were real newspapers. And that was like, like we were carrying on this tradition dating back to Grantland Rice and Red Smith and, you know, all, all, all all of this. And, and and it was, and obviously in hindsight that looks really dated and stupid, but I remember feeling that, like, I remember like, you know, you want to set yourself apart by writing these great newspaper stories and like dedicating yourself to your craft and being a newspaper person and, how wedded we were to that idea was just, you know, in hindsight, like what were we thinking?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think they were the very, very last days when a majority of people in those smaller communities still got their news on their doorstep the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was, the, you know, the national news. Um, yeah. Your efn.coms people were getting that the night before, but there was still an element of, just the last days of really, you know, the morning newspaper having some surprises for right. people, I guess is, is one way to put it. Um, and it was an interesting time. I was thinking about how um, those first days of really newspaper websites and the kind of the, the push and pull of, like, for example, a breaking news story. And, you know, the direction was, you know, get it up there, even though once you put it up there, you know, online, maybe a handful of people saw it because no one was really going to the website at that time. And so you felt you were kind of tipping your hand a little bit, but there was really no other way to, to build a following online. Just, just keep putting stuff up there and keep growing that readership. But early, early on, I always felt kind of like, you know, well, we're going to put it up there. It's going to be on TV at six o'clock. And by the time, you know, it's in the paper the next morning, it's going to be old news. Right. Um, So it was just an interesting dynamic there as we kind of built a following online. Yeah. I
0: mean, it was that very real Mm -hmm. thing. We don't want to put We don't want to scoop ourselves was the idea, right? You don't want to put it online at like seven o'clock when you learn, you know, Jason Spetz is going to be out three weeks with a knee injury or something like that. Um, because then TV is going to get it and then you're going to scoop yourself in the paper. And that again, like when I, when I tell my students that now in 2020, they look at me like I'm like, I'm insane. Um, because it's, it's changed so much, but that was, that was really how we, how our editors thought and kind of how, and we kind of internalized that in a way as well. It was like, you wanted the scoop in the morning paper. Like I was just writing, I'm writing some stuff on that. And like, that was the Holy grail, right? Like you get the scoop, the TV's got to chase the next day, or they've got to use your, your report on it. And that was just, that was just what you wanted. Mm -hmm. And, and it's so weird just to think about it and look back in like 2006 and being like, that is, so dated because we knew like (laughs) we knew the track that that news was going on and it wasn't on it it wasn't print
1: yeah i mean um just it's interesting also to play through the many different things that we you know experimented with in regards to an online Mm -hmm. site you know the blogs um the video um the, the chats with fans um it was you know it it, there were interesting times because it was really just sort of like, you know, trying out the many different ways you kind of build a following and get people to go online. Um, you know, it's had, having an um, interesting conversation with someone I work with now who does kind of use experience work um, for, for online. And it another interesting thought is how the, the approach to online has kind of changed. I, I remember back then it was kind of like, well, the the newspapers a very limited space, where mm-hmm. um, you know you only get you know sixteen column inches or whatever to tell your story. But online, like let's throw all the let's throw all the photos that we couldn't fit into the paper <laughs> up there. Let's you know let's throw the transcripts up there. Let's you know let's throw five different you know blog entries up there, and and um, it was just sort of like this like unlimited t- trove of like you know, content that you put there. Now, certainly, you know, we've seen in the 20 years since a much more like, you know, strategic uh, approach to, you know, what do readers really want? Um, what are they really going to engage with that, that sort of thing? But I remember back then it was like, oh, great. You know, there's no word count. There's no inch <laughs> count when when you're talking online.
0: And, and, and the two of us, we both thrived in a no inch count environment. I mean. Thrived. Thrived. <laughs> So, and, 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 so I'm also interested because we both, it was about the same time, you know, you were, you stayed a year after I did that we both, um, left being a sports writer. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I've told my story on here and I, and it'll come up again, but so how did you decide that you, you said, you know, this is a job you had wanted since you were reading the post as a kid um, mm-hmm. how did you come to that decision that you were going to leave? Cause you left and didn't, you didn't leave for a, a sports writing job. You left for, you left the industry when you left Binghamton. So what was like, what was that like? How did you come to that?
1: Um, I mean, you know, if I'm being honest, I I think that it was a decision that was, you know, I was 10 years into my career. It was probably 10 years coming. I think there was always sort of a, a push pull hmm. between, man, I love this job and, Man, this job really re- requires, you know, all your nights and weekends and holidays. And you know, Binghamton had a every year had a New Year's Eve game and a December twenty sixth game. And um, you know, it just I think I was maybe never quite I never lo- quite loved fully the the kind of the trade offs that, that it that it required. Um, and then once. Um, you know, once the the rise of, of online, you know, it just was that much more of a commitment. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, anytime news broke, you need to be on your you know phone or computer tweeting about it, blogging about it. And, um, so I think in that respect, um, that, that became tough, but I think more so it was just sort of kind of reading the tea leaves of what, you know, that was 10 years in and, and what, you know, what the future held and, um, just kind of thinking that maybe I, you know, I gave it a, a great shot and I had, you know, the time of my life and, and it's a total blast and got a chance to live out a dream, but, um, you know, what, what is really the the future of this industry and, you know, what is my future look like and, you know, how much further am I going to go and, you know, what, how many opportunities are there out there at this point? And, um, I think, you know, there were some personal reasons as well, you know, w- always kind of wanted to get back closer to my family down outside of DC. Um, so that played into it as well. Um, so I think it was, a, it was a lot, I think just maybe just kind of thinking that um, kind of a little unsure about what exactly the, the future of the industry and my own future held as well as maybe just looking for a little bit more at that time, 10 years in, maybe looking for a little bit more of a work life balance than at that point that I was getting.
0: Yeah. And um It's funny, this is going to be the ultimate name drop, and I apologize for how shameless it sounds, but uh, Woj spoke to my sports training class yesterday via Zoom, Adrian Wojnarowski, and uh, he said, you know, he was telling stories that like in the summer, he won't go, he doesn't go swimming, he doesn't go in the ocean, he got a Peloton instead of going for bike rides because he doesn't feel like he can be away from his phone, even for that amount of time in case something happens and he's got to tweet it or he's got to, you know, kind of report on a story, which is, you know, I think a good reality reality uh check for people and for students to hear that and woach said something really powerful he said that if you can imagine yourself doing anything else do that um because this is such a a tough business it's such a competitive business and like you said it's this all-encompassing business and um it was funny you know think looking back and i've said this to you several times offline um and in a way it it you know, inflates our own skill and ego and our own career path. I think maybe a little bit, but I'm gonna go with it because why not? Um, this <laughs> idea that we were three to five years too early in some ways. Like we were like that's what's so interesting. I think about like our generation of journalists. You know, or, or now early 40s. Um, God, we're old, but early 40s of this. Um, like that that print path that you were talking about earlier. I think we both kind of saw like you start at the small town paper, you kick ass there, then you go to the medium sized city and you do well there and then you move up to the next thing. And you like that that kind of progression that was very much like baseball, right? You start at single A and then you go to double A, Triple A, onto the big leagues and da 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 da. That dried out, I think, by the time, you know, the mid to late two thousands hit. And certainly um You know, it was the internet, but it was also right around the time of the uh, the economic crash of the of the first of the two thousand nine economic recession, Um, and so I think that had obviously a huge part in that. But that path started to dry up, Um, but the online path hadn't opened up yet. So you get, you know, I think of my former student, uh, an intern, Tyler Dunn, who's you know mind-bendingly amazing at what he does at Bleacher Report but that path hadn't opened up and wasn't viable yet or didn't I should say it didn't feel viable did it to go to an online only place in 2008 2009 that still felt like you were like joining a startup in a in a basement somewhere
1: Yeah um first of all you talk about your all-time drop off in guests from one day to the other <laughs> um, but um yeah you know it um it, I, I've thought, you know, over the years here and there, you know, what what kind of doing a post-mortem, you know, what would I have done differently, um, what, you know, etc. And when I was, I think it was the first or second year that I was at Elmira, and I think I had, you know, a friend called and there was an opportunity um, to apply for a sports clerk position at a, a bigger metropolitan paper. And, um, you know, it, it raised a, a question that that I think was at that time big. And that was, you know, do you take a, a foot in the door, but a lesser position at a, a bigger paper? Or do you kind of cut your teeth uh, on, a, on a full-time day-to-day beat um, at a smaller paper? Um, and, you know, there was a, there a variety of reasons I didn't end up pursuing that. But um, in, in many ways, Elmira was a, just a great paper to, to gain experience across the board. You know, page design, um, covering a pro beat, um, got a chance to do news stories for the front page, photos, um, had a features column. So, I mean, it, it was just a great learning experience, a great paper to learn at and just gain a variety of experience. But, you know, I have thought, you know, had I known that the, the bottom was going to drop out on the industry, wouldn't it have been smarter to just get your foot in the door of another paper? Because like you said, maybe some of those opportunities to move up paper to paper to paper would would dry up. Um, so that's a, something I thought about as well.
0: Yeah, I remember my, my version of that is after my first year covering BU, um, the Siena beat at the Albany Times Union opened up. And I knew the sports columnist there and was thinking, should I apply to that? You know, Siena at Albany, that's a huge, that's a huge beat. And there ended up being a couple of big stories that came out of that after, a, after I, uh, after I didn't apply for it. And part of it was it didn't want to move again. I, you know, just feeling comfortable on this beat. Um, but then that work-life balance, like I just started dating one of our copy editors who's now sitting across from me, um, as my wife, um, she says hi by the way. Um, so, you know, it Hello, is, <laughs> it is that, um, that, that work-life balance that, that, you know, always looking back at, at hindsight on it is, you know, you can kind of, put the pieces together on it. But, but yeah, I mean, I remember, I think it was, was it Jane McManus in a piece about the athletics said that there's like this 10 year shelf life on sports writers on a sports writing career. And that's now given that, but I do feel like there is something to that, right? Like, you know, you go really hard at it and you know, it, it, it is all encompassing. Like, you know, it is nights and weekends every night, every weekend night and all this time. And, you know, it is it can burn you out on it a lot because it's every day, especially if you're writing hockey or you're writing baseball a sport like that, where it's constant, constant stuff. And it is it, it it is a hard it is a hard gig. And it was a hard gig then when we were, you know, balancing uh, print and online and trying to trying to trying to figure out. I don't know. I just when when I look back at that time of newspapers, it just it's such this weird little interstitial time of, of you know, of change in the industry that I think that people of our generation, including my wife who's a copy editor and a bunch of people who have left the industry, I think it's really interesting to think about why we left. And um, kind of getting to that point, you know, what was it like for you when you first left? Like that, for, you know, you, you pulled the trigger and you went to the Humane Society. Am I remembering your career path right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yep. I okay. uh, went to the Humane Society of the United States. And, you know, I've said this before, I think that was the perfect first step out of journalism um, for a couple of reasons. One was that, you know, I had kind of a a variety of duties there, but I, you know, I took a position in the publications department there. Um, And so half, you know, half of my job was was writing for this bi monthly magazine where we really covered the organization's work and, you know, took a, a very much journalistic approach to you know, reporting on, um, you know, the facts of, of issues related to um, to animals um, as well as, as the organization's work. So got to do some really cool stories there. Um, and just, you know, th- we had such uh, impressive designers there as well, page designers, and, and so got to put together, you know, package together some really cool stories. I, I remember um, one time went out to uh, Southern California and spent – three days kind of behind the scenes at a, a wildlife rehabilitation center. In um, my first day there, they, someone called and said, you know, we have two Bobcat kittens in our backyard that are drinking out of our swimming pool. Can you guys come get them? So kind of ended up the story just magically was able to follow kind of the path of these Bobcat kittens as they're kind of brought in and rehabilitated. Um, but so many fascinating stories that way. Um, there was another time that we, um, went down to Florida to cover um uh gopher tortoises and the issue was that housing developments were building their the new homes on top of these burrows and kind of essentially trapping the tortoises in there so there was a group that would go in to these development sites ahead of time and use like a backhoe to get these tortoises out of the ground um and then you know I followed them across the state as they kind of delivered these tortoises to like a a wildlife refuge. So just, you know, some really cool stories and and some neat kind of reporting got to do that way. Um, But the other side of the the business was got to learn a little bit about kind of the approach of, you know, an in-house marketing communications, um, you know, what goes into, you know, the website and what goes into developing materials to kind of market and tell the story of, of an organization's work. So that, that was kind of a, a neat kind of, balance of still kind of getting that journalism fix and and putting those skills to use but learning some kind of new skills in the the marketing field
0: and and realizing too and i've i've realized this so much in 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 my in my racket that you can still write but not not have to be for a newspaper like that sounds so basic but it was such this like you know i get to write and i'm not i don't have to write for a newspaper to write this is great
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that was something that was, you know, my eyes really were open to once I left. And that is just the world of opportunities out there that you can write and have creative outlets and creative challenges. And it doesn't have to be covering a hockey team or what have you. There's just, there's, there's a lot of really cool opportunities. And maybe, you know, it's not, you know, some of them aren't quite as cool as getting the cover, you know, playoff game or what have you. But there's some some really neat opportunities and, and some fun stories to tell and neat interviews to conduct and that sort of thing. So I think that was something that, you know, maybe looking back, I didn't really realize until, until I had left, um, just the world of opportunity that there is out there to, you know, to write and tell stories and, and kind of make a career out of that.
0: Do you miss it at all?
1: Uh, you know, it's funny that sometimes, There will be, uh, you know, a big event in town or what have you. and I'll get a little itch, you know, like, what's going on? How would I tell the story? Um, I think the other thing, and this probably doesn't even happen anymore, but, you know, that feeling when you wake up the next morning and know you have, like, this is really dating myself, a killer story in the print newspaper was was always such a thrill and such a great day. I remember um, when I was at, um, when I was in college, the sports was on the back page and you know, when you had a column, your your picture was on there. Uh, and so just walking around the, the kind of the cafeteria, the day your column came out and seeing, you know, your face flashed all across all the, the lunchrooms and stuff, the lunch tables, that was always such a kind of a, a thrill as well. Um, so, you know, there's little things here and there, but um, I know we've talked about this now. I have a three-year-old and uh, a another on the way and um I have all the respect in the world for for sports reporters who are able to juggle the demands of a beat and the demands of of parenthood because I've I've thought before, you know, how would I have ever done both of these at the same time? So my my hands are certainly full (laughs) right now. Mm.
0: Um, yeah, I, it, it's funny. Like, do I miss it? Um, like you said, there are times, like, in March when the, all the decisions were starting to be made for, uh, during coronavirus and, uh, like they were announcing what's gonna happen at SUNY schools and when they're gonna reopen and stuff like that. And I was, it, it felt like I was reporting it. Like, I I'd hear something and I tweet it out or I'd, you know, share it with students or something like that. And like, you know, our old, our our late great boss, Charlie Jaworski used to call it the chase. And that was always fun. And that's still fun when you get a little, a little taste of that. And like my wife and I will like track down some information on something and be like, oh, we're good at this. Like, this is what we do, but I still got it. it, But I really like, like it's six o'clock and like, oh, I can watch a movie with my family and not have to worry about about that or it's a i can right. make or two weekends from now i can make plans with friends yes i can so there that, that yeah. is the trade-off i like so so what are you up to now what's your job like now
1: oh yeah of course so um now working at a communications firm here in alexandria um and um it's it's every day is a little bit different because we have many different clients across government associations nonprofits, profits um but some of the some of the really meaningful work that we're going to do is we, we do some work with the VA um, helping to tell the stories of um, veterans who have faced um, mental health challenges, um, you know, pro- providing a platform um, for other veterans who may be facing similar challenges um, to realize that they're not alone in what they're facing. Um, so that's been just, I mean, some of the most powerful stories and um, in, in some of the stories that, that they have, that they share just uh, unbelievable um, um, another thing that we're doing right now is uh, supporting the 2020 census. So um, I'm helping to produce some of the, the web copy there for the 2020 census site, as well as some of the other creative materials for that. Um, so that's been um, really cool to be a part of. So um, all your listeners out there, make sure you're, you've taken your 2020 census. Got to, got to plug that. Um, but you know, yeah, every, every day kind of a, a different challenge and, and um, gotten to do all sorts of different types of writing uh, whether it's, you know, writing for blogs, websites, uh, speeches. Um, so, you know, every day kind of brings a, a different challenge, and I've re- I really enjoyed it.
0: So I ask everybody I have on the podcast this, so I'll ask you, what's the best thing that you've read
1: lately? Oh, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, what one of the books I've been reading that I've been loving is is called The, the Stranger in the Woods. Uh, I believe it's story of a hermit in Maine who lived kind of undetected for years and years and years uh, near kind of a a, a lake in, in cabins there in Maine, and, and every you know every so often would break into cabins and take little supplies. Became the the story of legends up there, and and um, was really not living that far away from homes, but just the way he was able to live um, undetected for years and years and years before he was eventually caught. Is just a fascinating uh, story.
0: Awesome. I can recommend, um, I think you'll like this too. Uh book is called Working by Robert Caro. Um, he's the guy who wrote The Power Broker, the enormous book on Robert Moses and like the five volume biography of Lyndon Johnson. And it's, it's kind of like how it, it's, like interviews about how he reported it. So he's like how he researched it, how he uh, kind of some like behind the scenes stories. It's kind of like a director's commentary on his books and you don't need to have read his books to get it. But there's some great writing advice, some great interviewing advice and just fascinating to kind of get a peek behind one of, the, you know, how he does his job and how he does that. It's very well written. It's a very quick read too. So um, cool. Uh, who wrote the, the
1: your book, Stranger in the Woods? Oh, well, I was going to tell you, next up on my list is yeah. The Fifth Risk. From Michael Lewis. That's oh, uh, excellent, you know, yes. um yeah. Um but this one that one is by Michael Finkel, Stranger in the Woods. Yeah. Um Brian, you mentioned kind of writing advice. I was thinking uh, you know, one other thing that I wanted to mention to you, kind of looking back on you know, what would I have done differently or how would I have heard you know sports settings differently was when we were there, you know, kind of when you're in the early to mid-20s, um, I was so focused on reading, like, everything that I could get my hands on, you know, the National Columnist, um, the Gary Smith of the world, and just looking at, you know, the many different ways you could tell your story and actually the, you know, the process of writing and, and really finding your voice, which I thought was, like, it was obviously hugely, hugely important at, at that time to do and really kind of establish your voice as a writer and a reporter, um, but I, I've i I've been thinking since then of the, the types of sports supporters that I kind of follow regularly. And I think, you know, had I to do it over again, one thing that I may have put, looked to put more time into, and it sounds <clears throat> excuse me, so obvious now to, to say, but really becoming an expert at the game, yes. um, you know, finding someone to read, you know, to review game film with, um, you know, finding extra time to pick the brains of former players um, I found now that the people that can report with a little bit of a scout's eye is is so helpful and meaningful. And and um, we have a guy down here for ESPN.com, John Kime, who covers the Redskins, who I think does a, a an awesome job at that. Um, and so that was that would just be something. And I and I think the rise of online and, and the online platform has given you know newspapers and and other platforms the ability to take deeper dives into. Specific plays or why offenses work better, and you know, do that with visuals and and copy. Um, but that that may have been something that I would have done slightly differently. Is just work in a little bit maybe of that, you know. Yeah, that ex- down game film and just,
0: yeah, that expertise I think is something that is kind of late to journalism because I think we always have that like we're detached, we're objective point of view, and we're like generalists And I think that you're right. Going online, yeah. like there's a call for we should be experts in, in whatever we're covering, and that doesn't you know whether that's watching game film or just being super knowledgeable of the bu- bureaucratic workings of it. But I think that you're right. I think that expertise is something that we have and we should and I see. I'm still speaking. We as journalists, ten, eleven years <laughs> out, right? But I think that that's something that journalists still, you know, instead of hiding, should kind of uh, highlight about their
1: work. Yeah, one hundred percent. Thinking uh, last night, as I was kind of getting ready for the for the call here, I was thinking about some of the uh, the highlights over the years, and certainly <laughs> one that will always stand out is uh, the trip we took to cover the NCAA uh, first round game between. Duke that was uh, that was great. I remember an incredible
0: the, experience. Yeah, I remember the Butler band playing out, out in front of our hotel super early that morning. Not super early. It was like nine, but that's sports right early. Um, but they were playing out in front of our hotel, and I remember sitting. Uh, we had like our seats not for the game, but like the seats that we had or uh when we weren't covering it. Like you had like sp- seats behind the scores. Uh, the scores table just so like people who were covering had place to sit. And I remember sitting behind the Butler bench and being really impressed with their coach. And it was Brad Stevens. It was like in a, a second or th- it was early on a Butler. It was before they made their big push. And obviously before Stevens became a national figure, but I just remember being really, really impressed by him. Uh, and that was a fun trip. That was a super fun trip. And talk about a late night. We had the ten thirty game that night. And, uh, I mean well, not that not that we it could... under those deadlines, but <laughs> I remember that was the night talking about blank checks. That was the night uh our slot told us, Don't worry about inch count, just right. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Little known fact about that trip, you were the one that introduced me to Chick-fil-A on that trip. I did. Like Chick-fil-A salad. Yeah. Oh I you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, Wait, all you just put a, a pickle on a on a chicken sandwich? That's it? That's what the big deal is about? <laughs> That's and, it. And uh yeah, it was amazing
0: that that's just funny. Cause you grew up in Virginia.
1: Yes. <laughs> Northern Virginia.
0: <laughs> ah, that's fair. So, all right, Mike, um, ah, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah. Pleasure catching up with you, Brian. Thanks for having me on.
0: As always, thanks for listening to The Other 51. You can find show notes for this episode and all our episodes at sportsmediaguide.com on the Other 51 tab. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I can highly recommend Overcast for this. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz.